I'm Carmen. And I'm Joanna. And we want to introduce you to our podcast, Live, Laugh, Murder. On our podcast, I, Carmen, tell my co-host, Joanna, say hey. Hey, girl. I tell her a story, and it is not always true crime. We are true crime with a twist. With a twist, like a twist. Got it. The twist here is that sometimes the stories I tell Joanna are true crime, and sometimes they are the plot of a creepy movie. So listen in and join us as we tease Joanna to see if she can figure out which is which, because she is not the creepy movie buff or the true crime enthusiast. Nope. And can you figure it out as well? Yeah. So that's us. Join us. Live, Laugh, Murder podcast. And we love you. You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Hi, crime family. Before we get into this week's episode, we just wanted to truly acknowledge and send all of our love to everyone affected in the Buffalo supermarket shooting that took place this past weekend. With this in mind, we thought it would be necessary to give a quick warning that the end of this episode does include a conversation about other mass casualty events and was recorded weeks prior. We have decided to keep this portion in as it seems more important than ever to talk about the prevalence of this kind of violence in the United States. However, if you are not in the headspace to listen to such a heavy topic at this time, we totally understand. We will include the timestamp of when that conversation occurs in the show notes, as it does not come up in either of our stories. So without further ado, welcome back, and we'll go ahead and get into the episode. Thanks, guys. Welcome back. This is episode 18 of True Crime BB. I'm Bailey. And I'm Beth. And this week we have just played a trailer for you for Live, Laugh, Murder. With our friends Joanna and Carmen. We think you're really going to like them. We mentioned them a week or two ago just because they came up in our conversation. And we thought, (laughs) well, why don't we just play the trailer so that you guys can give them a try. Yeah, so give them a listen and we'll give them a shout out at the end just in case you forget the name of their podcast. That's right. So Um, this week, what are you doing? This week, I have an old one, but it's an old Hollywood-y one, so... Oh, that's fun. I think a lot of people might know the story, so I'm not going to go into great detail, and I'll give you references as to where you I can I want all more. the details. God, there's so many people that are involved that I was... Okay, well, let's just do the main people we think might have been the culprit here. Okay, all right? sounds interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to start off on... April 26th, 1872. Oh, that is old, old old Hollywood. Old, old Hollywood. But first, we're going to Ireland. (laughs) All right. I'm always up for that. We love our Irishmen. Where William Cunningham Dean Tanner moved to the U.S. He's a child of five, but other than that, his early life isn't really well known. But in sometime in 1891, he moved to the U.S. And he first started out at a Kansas ranch. Okay. It was just kind of... I guess that's what he did in Ireland. So he Irish cowboy. He's an Irish cowboy. How good? Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. (laughs) But soon after that, he decided he wanted to become an actor. So he decided to move out to New York. Okay. While in New York, he married a woman named Ethel May Hamilton in 1901. Okay. Together, they had a daughter named Ethel Daisy, and that was in, I believe, they history couldn't really get it straight. It was either 1902 or 1903 when she was born. Okay. But on October 23rd, 1908, William mysteriously disappeared without any warning. Really? No note, no nothing, just gone, and... Nobody had any theories. Well, kind of they did. They kind of just said, ah, we think he walked out on the family. Okay. Because he did, before this, have a really bad drinking problem and had a lot of amnesia incidents because of that, where he would be Blackout, stumbling drunk. out. Yes, all the time. 
So they thought, oh my gosh, he's been drinking so much, it's finally gone to his head and he's lost it. He, he doesn't even know where he well. is. Yeah, <laughs> disappeared that morning. Finally, in 1912, he just found himself in Hollywood. <laughs> Somehow made it all the way down there and was like, well, time to reinvent myself, I guess. <laughs> While he was in Hollywood, I think he found out along the way. They said he was traveling in different acting circus type of situations up in Canada, all the way across the country down to California. Okay. So he's lived quite a life already. <laughs> yes. So he changed his name at that point in Hollywood to William Desmond Taylor. And after that, he also began to find work there as an actor, and later on, as he started to age, became a very well-known director of silent films. That's cool. During all that, like I said, there's so much involved in this. If you want his, go to his Wikipedia, because there's like 89 titles that he directed, 89, I mean, 84 of these he starred in, blah, blah, blah. He was so if you look for his Wikipedia, which name is he under? He would be under William Desmond Taylor. Okay. Yes. But... Through all of that, 1918 through 1919, he actually did a stint of military service, weirdly enough, serving for the Canadian forces, not American, even though I think just because he lived all those couple years in Canada, he was a dual resident at this point. Okay. But he ended up serving in Dunkirk. Oh, boy. Yeah. But he made it back I and mean, actually got honored with a huge gala in Hollywood. They had all the biggest celebrities come out and was celebrated at this for his service. And then we're getting to the sad part of his story. On February 2nd, 1922, his valet, Henry Peavy, found William Taylor's body in his Los Angeles home. Oh no. I guess he had shown up that morning and was expecting to take him somewhere, and then he just wasn't answering, so he walked in and found him. Uh The valet began to scream, and a group of people, just, you know how it was in the early 20s, a crowd of people would rush in and just look over the crime scene themselves, and were just like, oh my god, let me touch this. Yeah. so someone claiming to be a doctor came forward. They didn't know credentials, obviously. He just walked up and said, I'm a doctor, let me look at the body. So he starts prodding, poking at him, and he says, Ah, oh, yes, he died of a stomach hemorrhage. That's it, tell you and he just left. Really? Stomach hemorrhage? And I don't know how you would determine that unless it's solid in your stomach. Maybe it could be like, oh, there's blood in or here. you but push like, it and it goes... <laughs> Mine does that anyway, so... Like. <laughs> But yeah, so after the police finally arrived and discovered, they listened to what everybody was saying, oh, this doctor said he died of a stomach hemorrhage, and then they quickly lifted up William's body and found that actually he'd been shot point blank in the back with a pistol. So well, maybe he made a like stomach in the hemorrhage. Back, heart back. It's so funny because that doctor appeared, said that, made everybody talk around town about how it was a stomach hemorrhage, disappeared, never seen again. Nobody's ever heard from this doctor. I think he was a plant. I think. He was a fixer for somebody. That might come in handy. I didn't even think about that, but keep that in mind with some of the theories I'll get into later. Okay. Okay. So they went over the scene, which is probably not that helpful after the entire county's been in, but it didn't seem like robbery was very likely because he was wearing a two-carat diamond ring on his finger and had $78, which in today's time is about $1,200, in his wallet. Mm -hmm. The police spoke to his neighbor, Faith McLean, And she had seen someone the night previous leaving his property, and she had made eye contact with this person and said, well, it looked like a man. Yeah, it looked really serious. Can you imagine that? They're just walking down the stoop. Just giving her the evil eye. (laughs) (laughs) But she claimed she made eye contact with this individual, and at first she thought it was a man because they were wearing a top hat and normal 20s man suit. And then she said, but as I look closer into their face, it could have been a woman disguised as a man. 
So this is completely unhelpful again, because yeah, once again, it could be anybody. <laughs> so pretty much your testimony is pointless. Yeah. Okay. So... Police detective William Michael Cahill Sr., who was put on early on, he was one of the first officers at the scene, claimed about the investigation ongoing, we were doing all right, and then before a week was out, we got the word to lay off from higher-ups. And then he was taken off the case, and he doesn't know who was put in charge. Apparently nobody was, because last he heard of it. They just decided they didn't care. They just decided, eh, we're not going to look into this anymore, so a lot of people think the police might have Somebody got paid off. Yeah, somebody in their pockets, so. All right. So most of the physical evidence that was collected was either lost over time or completely destroyed in 1940. Sounds like it was probably destroyed before the <laughs> before police the ever police got ever on the scene. <laughs> People yeah. stepping on it this and tripping over the guy and moving him around. There was no chance of this working out, was there? <laughs> Not very much. And even the guy that like shot the brown eye. <laughs> Not the brown eye, the bad eye. Did I skip a part of my notes here? <laughs> Let me rephrase. <laughs> gave the evil eye, the bad eye, to the lady who saw him outside. Even worse if he gave her the brown eye. <laughs> That's what I'm That's saying. God. Okay. So I've all that Sorry, laid out I'm for you. It's after the work day. Yeah, we're Clean all giggling now. Clean the mind. Clean the mind. Okay. So now I'm going to lay out for you the possible suspects that could be involved in this. Okay. I think there's five, maybe six. Two of them are combined, though. Two combined? Two are combined, like a mother and daughter team. Okay. What? Yeah. Like us? Not quite. We'll get there. Okay. So the first person suspected was a man named Edward Sands. He was the previous valet for William up until seven months prior to his murder. Okay. He had been found, right before he got fired, forging checks under William's name and eventually was fired after robbing his bungalow and completely destroying the place, leaving his footprints everywhere. So he knew exactly who it was. I don't know about you, but I consider that to be a valid reason for firing your valet. I think it was kind of sweet that he was like, oh, you're just forging checks. We'll see you. Do better. (laughs) But, yeah. So, another fun fact about this Edward fellow. After the murder was announced, Edward was never seen alive again. Alive? Does that mean he was found dead? We don't know. He had a lot of aliases, so it's totally possible he knew that people would point to him and then just skip town. Or maybe he did it and knew people would point to him and skip town. That's where I was going with that. So, pretty strong strong suspect, I would say. But Okay. Who else you got? The second suspect was Henry Peavy, which was the man who found him, his current valet. Okay. Police cleared him, but a local reporter decided that she knew better than the police, and he must actually be guilty. And her reason for that? Because he was a black man, of course. Oh. Yeah. There you go. And this is so beyond ridiculous. And I was I was thinking at first, oh, mm-hmm. well, maybe the reporter knows something the police don't know, but no, she's just a bigot. She's just an asshole. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and a stupid asshole, you'll see. So the police <laughs> suck, but she sucked too. She sucked. Sorry about all this. <laughs> so this reporter decided to set up a sting operation in order to catch Henry Peavy and try to make him confess to the oh, murder. Oh, Jesus Christ. So she invited Henry to the gravesite of William, after he was buried, of course. <laughs> and met, <laughs> so she met him at the grave, just saying, hey, we want to know what you know and interview you. That'll be it. So she meets him there, and she said in the journal, she still wrote an article about this, keep in mind. She wrote in the journal article that she assumed he was afraid of ghosts because he's a black man, of course. 
And I put question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, I don't know the relevance. Well, when it comes to that kind of racism and bigotry, there's just... There's you no can't, explanation that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you can't make any kind of logical explanation for it because there isn't any. Yeah. So, in order to scare him and make him confess to this, she hired another man to put a sheet over himself. Oh, God. And damn. sneak up on them <laughs> no, in, at the grave. It. Stop it. So this guy sneaks up wearing a sheet. I'm assuming with the little eyes cut out. I don't know. He's not going to think it's a ghost. He's going to think the KKK is coming for him. Better yet, the guy starts coming up and saying, Ooh, I am William. Why did you kill me? And Henry obviously didn't buy this. Not only because he's not a fucking idiot, but because the actor who played the ghost had a strong Chicago accent, whereas Williams was from freaking Ireland. That's a valid like, And he's like, you're not... Distinction. <laughs> I just... Plus, it looked like a guy with a sheet over him. Right. So he's just like, what the fuck is this? Oh my god. What kind of moron thought this was going to work? <laughs> no. But, and that's literally all the proof anybody has on Henry, so I just thought that was a ridiculous story. Which is really only proof that he's a normal thinking person who's not an idiot. I think this points more guilt to the reporter than it does to Henry. Seriously. Oh my god. That's just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The third suspect we have was an actress who worked alongside William in many of his films, and at one point had become a lover. What? They decided to keep things platonic and no longer see each other that way anymore, but they they... stayed friends in their later years. Water under the bridge. Water under the bridge. I say later years. He was 49 when he died. It's not like, they're 80 and they're so good friends. Like, you know. (laughs) But unfortunately... He was no Francis Rattenberry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have more in common than we would think. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Miss Mabel Normand had a very bad cocaine addiction, and William, being her dear friend, had recently turned in her suppliers to the feds in order to get them taken down and to get her out from under her addiction. Because, you know, he's just trying to help her out. He's like, you know what? If you can't stay away, I'm going to make sure you can't purchase anymore. Okay, so they thought that was her motive. They thought not necessarily her, but that a possible connection to her, whereas the people she was buying from, maybe their bosses found out he turned them in okay. and then went after him. So she's kind of the start point of this, but not necessarily mm-hmm. that she ever had anything to do with it. Okay. Fourth, and I have one more after this. It's almost done. We have Mary Minter, which is actually a very famous silent film actress. Yes, I know the name. Mm-hmm. And her mother, Charlotte Shelby. Okay. I don't know her name. She's not important. She's just the momager. The mom is not important. She's really not here. <laughs> She's literally just took advantage of her daughter's beauty and was making money off uh, her since she was... That's what we all do. You at least waited until I was 26. <laughs> <laughs> Please return to what you were trying to say before I rudely interrupted. So Mary Minter was underage at the time. She was 17 when she met William. I believe he was 42. But she fell in love with him. So it really was like a Rottenberry, but not opposite, you know? Yeah. So Mary fell in love with him, but William repeatedly turned her down and said, I'm sorry, I'm just too old for you. You are too young and you're in Hollywood. That's as dangerous for you to start playing this game. And was very sweet to her and turned her away, but kept her as a close friend. He sounds like a pretty good guy, except for the fact that he ditched his whole family. I really do. The more I learned about him, I was like, maybe he really did just have lost it out of his mind for a couple of years. And it was just like, well, they probably don't want me now. (laughs) At some point, you could have, you know, checked. 
Well, she found out she later got a divorce from him, but... Okay. Whatever. All right, so he was good to marry, and she was in love with him, and he said no. He was good to a lot of people, it seems. Okay. They first started suspecting Mary and her mother because police, when they went through his house, found many love letters written from Mary, but none to Mary. Even she was like, no, he never... Unrequited love is quite a motivation. And it's not like he was writing them to her. It's a 17-year-old writing about a crush she has on an older man. It's it's innocent. For the most part, you know? Yeah. So, Momager Charlotte Shelby wanted William to be with Mary and ironically owned the same exact rare pistol that he had been shot with at the time. Really? And once again, as the story seems to keep ending, the gun disappeared the same day as his death, never to be seen again. (laughs) Wow, maybe that other guy took it. Who, the first guy? The, uh, The guy who was never seen again. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The former valet that kept robbing him and then disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could be. Maybe they maybe, were all in cahoots. Maybe Momager and valet thievy guy were in cahoots together. I mean, it was Hollywood. It seemed like it was a pretty close-knit group back in the day <laughs> and now, but I don't know. That's why I'm, this whole thing is like, it could be anybody. I all right. Know. I accept that. All right, so the last person I'll talk to you about was Margaret Gibson, who was also an actress, who completely never on the radar, had nothing to do with this, literally stopped working together in, like, 1914, so they hadn't seen each other since. Okay. However, he died in 1922. When she was dying of a heart attack in 1964, she took those last few moments to, she had just converted to Catholicism or Catholicism Catholicism, and decided to bring in a priest and confess to this priest that she had actually been the one to shoot William dead in his house that day and that it was because he was going to write a tell-all tale about all the people he'd come across in Hollywood and she couldn't let that happen and ruin her career. But shooting a guy won't hurt your career. Well, she got away with it. She still had a very successful career after this. Yeah, but she didn't know she would get away with it. And how did she get away with it? How did she happen to be in there if she hadn't seen him for eight years? I don't know. I just think it's kind of weird that she literally did have a deathbed confession. Like, she told the priest and then she told her entire family. So, like, it wasn't just, oh, one guy said this and she said that. Wow. Yeah, so it could have just been a confusion as you're dying type of situation. I don't know. I mean, she probably did it, but I just don't know. Honestly, I don't mean good for her in a way that's like... (laughs) But she did do a good job of getting away with it, if that is the case. Because that's literally the only proof we've ever had. I'm not... Just to clarify ...condoning murder or saying congratulations. We're a true crime podcast not to glorify (laughs) and encourage crime, but to try to equal the exposure for the victim. So let's not congratulate what's-her-face. I'm not congratulating her. For getting away with it for 40-some years. Because that was really mean to shoot him. Because he was trying to be a nice guy. And he was to her. I don't know why. Cause just because she heard from a grapevine that he was maybe talking crap about her or something. But he probably wasn't talking crap. But probably they fooled around when, you know, eight years oh, God, earlier. Oh, going to tell them I wasn't a virgin when I got married. Like, that was a big scandal back in those days. She didn't get married till she was like 60. I read her Wikipedia too. Like, like, well, I know she wasn't a virgin by then. Yeah, for sure. Not if she made it in Hollywood. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that's a sad truth. All right, so I'll end my story now. There was a book finally written about this murder in 1990 called A Deed of Death, The Story Behind the Unsolved Murder of William Desmond Taylor by Robert Jurow. It sounds French. 
All right, that's the story this week. <laughs> Do you you know who did it, or is it literally just kind of where I am? Literally any of those I could see possibly happening. There just wasn't any evidence. I just left. don't know why that woman would have confessed on her deathbed if she had not had anything to do with it. Well, she died, and she was not elderly, but like seventy, and so and she was dying of natural causes. She had enough time to bring people in, but. People, when they are getting close to death or having dementia, they will just tell you random things and they'll wake up and be like, oh, I'm a radio personality. And then you ask their friends and family and they're like, they wanted to be, but they weren't. So maybe as she's dying, she's like, God, I really wish I could have been the one to shoot or something like that. You know, That'll be me someday. I had a podcast. (laughs) I did it with my daughter. I had people (laughs) in all the continents listening. (laughs) Except Antarctica. Damn Antarctica! I think it might be a while till we get that one. I, yeah. Unless, we might have to go there ourselves and listen to it. Unless we have some climate scientists down there that are really, really... But maybe some then, biologists. But even then, I think it would pin to where they downloaded it. Because they don't have a great cell reception down there. Oh, from so when we, when we start getting something on the very tip of yeah, the, like Chile, down there, then we will know... It's mm-hmm. really Antarctica. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was an interesting story, and I, I think the old lady actress did it. I think that they had some illicit love affair mm-hmm. back in the teens when she last saw him, and probably he rocked her world, and she was like, oh, no, we can't have people know about that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they weren't allowed to have fun back then. And she was younger than him, so then maybe it's like, oh my gosh. Sounds like everybody was younger than him. Yeah, but he normally wouldn't give his attention to the younger girls. Well, how much younger was she? Not, not like 17, maybe like 24, 22. Well, at least it's legal. Yeah, it's not gross, (laughs) gross. It's just, yeah. All right. You ready for my story? Yes. My story is the upper story this week. Mm -hmm. Although your story was... Not really a downer because... It's been a decade. I mean, a decade. <laughs> a century? It's been yeah. 10 decades. Yeah. It's literally been a century. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so Tiffany Coward was just relaxing. She was minding her own business. It was a cool Hattiesburg, Mississippi weekend in February 2022, and she was just sitting outside enjoying the fresh air on her front porch. She noticed a man who was just walking down the street towards her porch wearing a hospital mask, which she thought was unusual, but she knew that some people wear them all the time, even outside, out of higher concern for COVID. Oh yeah, this is 2022, so that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, because some people are really concerned about COVID because they have... Autoimmune deficiencies? Yes, they have immune problems, and some people just have allergy problems, Mm -hmm. and I've seen people even before COVID came that were wearing their masks outside. Yeah. So she she thought it was odd, but she didn't really have any worry about that. Mm Mm-hmm. And as he approached her, he gave her a friendly, amiable greeting, and he started engaging her in a conversation. He told her that his car had broken down, and he was desperate because he was trying to get to the hospital where his wife was in labor with their first child. He begged her, please drive me to Forest General Hospital so that he wouldn't miss the birth, and he offered to give her gas money for her trouble. Everything about him seemed genuine, just super nice, believable. She had no qualms about him. And she wasn't really busy that day. Tiffany understood how important a day it was in the life of this man and his family. Mm -hmm. So she decided to help him out and said she would drive him to the hospital. They arrived at Forest General. 
The man got out. He was very thankful. And he asked her to wait just a few minutes while he went inside to get cash for the gas money. I guess there was an ATM in there. Mm -hmm. Tiffany waited. And after a few minutes, he did come back out. He still didn't have the money, but said he had checked at the reception desk. He was freaking out a little bit, and he had gotten the hospitals mixed up. His wife wasn't at this hospital. She was at Memorial Stone County Hospital. By this time, Tiffany was invested. She wanted to see things work out for this man, so of course she was going to take him to the correct hospital. He got back into her car, and they set out towards Memorial Stone County Hospital, where the wife was giving birth. By now, they'd been driving for a little while, and the man commented that he really needed to go to the bathroom. And he asked Tiffany to please stop for just a minute to let him get out and quickly pee. She knew he was stressed and worried already, so she naturally said okay. As Tiffany pulled over to the side of the country road, she put the car into park. The man turned toward her, casually reached over, turned off her ignition, and said to her, No, this is what's going to happen. You're going to die, or you're going to get in the trunk. Well, Tiffany must be a true crime fan. And her instincts told her that getting into that trunk would not end well for her. Yeah, it sounds like die or die to me. Yeah, her immediate instinct was to yeet the hell right out of there because she knows you never let them take you to point Mm -hmm. B. Tiffany's mind was telling her, quote, you fight or you die. You fight or you die. So she fought. First, she grabbed her stainless steel Yeti cup. And I laugh because you've got that big stainless steel Yeti. She grabbed her stainless steel Yeti cup out of the cup holder and hit him with it. Again and again and again. They fought inside the car. They fought outside the car. She kicked him. She punched him. She refused to give up. He continued trying to subdue her so that he could force her into the trunk. The whole time she was reminding herself that if she stopped, she wasn't going to get home to her kids. Mm -hmm. So she said... I fought him and fought him and fought him. He got so mad at me because I would not give up. I was relentless. I was not going to stop. I was not going to let him kill me. Finally, the man gave up trying to capture Tiffany. He shoved her down. He left her by the side of the road and he drove off in her car. Oh, I forgot he had the keys too. Yeah, they were still in the ignition. So this was a very remote part of Jackson County, Mississippi. Which is already pretty remote. Yeah, and she knew it was going to be a while before anybody drove by, but she stood there by the side of the road and she waited. It took a while before another car came along, and when Tiffany saw one coming, she tried to flag the car down. It didn't look to her as if it was going to stop. She was desperate, so Tiffany wanted to get this reported to the police because this man had her information. Her address and her kids? Oh, everything was in the car. She didn't have anything with her. He had her information, so how did she know he wasn't headed to her house now? Of course, that would be my first... Oh, my God. (laughs) So, Tiffany physically threw herself in front of this car that just happened down the road and forced it to come to a stop. As soon as the driver stopped, she started peppering him with the details of what had just happened to her. She told him what the man looked like. She told him the man had bandages on his hands and his arms. And as she talked, the driver said that something clicked in his mind. He pulled up a news article on his phone and he showed Tiffany a photo asking, is this the person who attacked you? Tiffany's jaw dropped when she realized it was the same guy. The news article that the driver had shown to Tiffany was about a man currently being hunted by the police. The man who had conned and then attacked Tiffany was named Michael Wilson and he had been serving two life sentences for beating two men to death in Biloxi and Gulfport, Mississippi in 2014. Wow. He had beaten Carmen Dale Edwards to death by bludgeoning him with a heavy glass ashtray, 
and he had beaten Kenneth Gibson to death with a hammer. Both were confirmed with DNA evidence, so there was no doubt that he did this. Well, it sounds like... So, okay, so he was in jail in Biloxi? He was in prison in Mississippi Correctional Institute. Okay, so he... And in 2018, he had escaped. Okay. I was just like, why didn't he leave? And then I realized that's probably why he wants a car. So, duh. He wants her car so he can get out of, yeah. get out of state. Okay. So he had been in prison in Mississippi Correctional Institute, and in 2018, he had escaped, after which he had been captured a few days later. Okay. He had then be, been returned to prison, and then he had been transferred out of that prison. His arms and hands had been sliced up on the barbs when he climbed the security fence to escape again, this time from the Walnut Grove Correctional Facility. So that's why he had bandages on his hands and his arms when he accosted Tiffany. Okay, I'm learning never trust a man with bandages on his arms. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least find out how he got those. Let me see a hospital bill, please. (laughs) So 20 minutes after Tiffany was picked up, her car was spotted on the roadside because it had run out of gas. And deputies located Michael Wilson nearby, who then surrendered without further incident. Tiffany was just mind-blown to find out the truth about her attacker. She said, I was like, ain't no way I just fought a murderer. There's no (laughs) way this just happened to me. There's no way. I felt like I was in a movie. And this guy was in prison for two life sentences for beating two men to death. Mm -hmm. And she freaking beat him enough that he gave up and took off. She told the media, I literally fought with everything that I didn't know I had in me. And that's how she saved her own life. Mm-hmm. Biloxi police officer Chelsea Dulong commented on Tiffany's escape that she did exactly what she should have done. Mm-hmm. She was right not to obey and get into the trunk. She was right to fight. She was right not to give up. If she had the opportunity to just take off running, that would have been the safest option. But since she couldn't get away enough to do that, fighting was the right response. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this before. If you can run, then freaking run. Especially if you think he's after you and he's still got access to the car. Hell no, I'm not running because of course he can get to you. Well, like, I'm going to fight run, before. <laughs> if you can run to a place where it's occupied and there are people there that can help you, right, right. go. But on a deserted road, fighting is going to be your And best, she couldn't get away from him enough to run. So of course, yeah. Officer Dulong noted, you should always listen to your instincts. And if something doesn't feel right, follow your instincts and do what appears to you to be the safest possible thing. Mm -hmm. If you're near people, make noise and draw attention to yourself. If you can't get to a busy area, go to the nearest gas station or the nearest house. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. Don't quit. Just keep fighting. And as we've suggested in quite a few of our episodes, it's always a good idea to learn some self-defense techniques that will give you some strategies or some muscle memory to get away from someone who's intent on hurting Mm -hmm. you. Tiffany Coward is anything but. She is a mother a badass, and a warrior. And she is alive to tell her story because she wouldn't give up and she wouldn't give in and she didn't quit fighting. I love that. I love it too and I'm so excited about this story. And that's so recent too. It was, yeah, just two months ago. I can't believe... Three months ago. Oh yeah, it is May now. Wow. It's May now. So it was just in February and I'm so proud of her. I saw a video of her and... She's just so humble and just amazed Mm -hmm. that she survived that. But a lot of people wouldn't have survived that because a lot of people would be so terrified they would comply and they would get in the trunk. You got it. Let's go. 
And I mean, you can't trust that someone is going to do what they tell you. You can't trust that they're going to say, get in the trunk and I'll take you to your house and drop you off. They're not going to do that. Especially if he lured you in by being this completely different person. He pulled a Ted Bundy on her. And then once you show me that you're not at all who you were portraying yourself to be, why would I ever believe anything that comes out of your mouth that, well, we'll get in the trunk and I'll keep you alive? The hell you will. So that's really awesome. So so Tiffany Coward is my hero of the day. I love her and I'm so excited that And now I've learned I need to take my Yeti. Your Yeti is a pretty good weapon. (laughs) Well, that's why people buy those huge mag lights. Those Mm. 18-inch long mag lights because they're grip size. You can hold them in your hand, but they are super heavy. Like baton. Well, it's even heavier than a baton. Mm -hmm. They're just really good weapons, which is also why they're bad. (laughs) They're good, but they're bad. Good in the right hands. Yeah, (laughs) so... So that is all I have for you today. That's crazy. I, I still can't believe I've never heard that story because I looked for survivor stories like ever the other day and that one just happened like... I have time. found new ways of searching for them. I'm, I'm putting in really specific search terms because mm-hmm. if you start searching for survivor, you end up with breast cancer survivors. Yeah. And that's amazing. I'm I'm happy for anyone who survives that, but that's not what I'm They did not commit for. a crime here. <laughs> yeah, well, cancer's a crime, but Cancer's a crime, yes. Oh, I did have one thing I learned on TikTok last night. Oh god. So, I saw I was on the true crime page of TikTok just going through all mall. And I saw somebody with a picture of the memorial of Columbine and true crime story I'll never forget that changed my life. And then all of the Gen Z kids, and I'm talking not like older Gen Zs, I'm talking anybody born after 2005, every single comment was, what what event was this? What was this? Oh what happened? God. Can somebody please give me some Because contact? there are so many now it doesn't stand out in their minds. That happened before they were born, but it... How do you not know of the biggest, obviously not the biggest, now? For us, it was the biggest, but now there have been ones that Mm -hmm. were a higher death toll. There have been ones that had, (laughs) oh my gosh. I mean, if you said Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, they would know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and it just blows my mind. In my (laughs) lifetime, I've seen... I mean, I was four when that happened, so it's not like... It's kind of like the people who didn't experience what it was like to go through the events of 9-11. And to me, I think about 9-11, and it still leaves a hole in my heart. Mm -hmm. But you were five. You were tiny. Yeah. So you may have seen me looking ashen sitting in front of the television where i was you were home with me i was because i didn't know if i was in preschool or daycare or what you were home with me and then because i was working Mm -hmm. and it happened and then we all left part way through the day and i came and picked you up and took you home but i was a mess i was so freaked out i was so emotional like and well, so, did you watch it live or anything like that? I or saw it, it live at work, and that's why we all ended up leaving. We were just so, I mean, the whole country, everybody was. I mean, that was one of those things, the first time anything like that has ever been broadcast for the entire world to see, you know? So, yeah. So, and like, it, it I don't was, remember it, but of course I have the same emotions when I think back to that day, you know? Just sorry. <laughs> I, I know you do, but, but it's... 
Yeah, just it's that feeling of anxiety and panic that you have in your heart that the world will never be the same again. Mm-hmm. And we knew from that day the world would never be the same again. Well, were you afraid something was going to happen? Like Everybody was afraid. I, <laughs> they, they, stopped, they stopped all air traffic yeah. in the U.S. for like six days or something after this mm-hmm. because they wanted to make sure they knew what was going on. They wanted to get new security measures in place. Mm-hmm. And... I remember like two weeks, maybe not two weeks, I don't know. A few weeks later, I had tickets to a Buckeye game. So I'm sitting in Ohio Stadium, and just a regular jet just flew over the stadium oh. on its regular flight pattern, and everyone was watching this jet. Yeah. Everybody's eyes were up at this jet, and you know, we weren't that important. We weren't a high dollar target, but we were watching this jet like, Holy shit, what if it crashed on us? Yeah. I and know so the it was, I know it. that's the way people's minds were working. And yeah. it was really traumatic, and it's still traumatic in, in a different way now. So. Where you kind of get used to it, not used to it, and as in like it's ever okay. Like, yeah, like that, but like where things like a jet aren't, don't freak you out anymore. Right. But every once in a while, you still just pops in the back of your head like that could happen any moment and that's... well and when you fly yeah after that yeah i'm not afraid of flying i've never mm-hmm. been afraid of flying but when i get on a plane i can't help but put myself in the shoes mm-hmm. of those people knowing they could see what was coming mm-hmm. they could see they weren't where they were supposed to be and so i can't help but put myself there and it's yeah. it's a really awful feeling and it just it's it's the empathy that just will suck your soul. <laughs> I know. After, the best way I can tr- kind of get what you're saying about like the anxiety afterwards is right after the Pulse nightclub shooting happened, I was going out clubbing with L- Lorraine, my friend at the time, all the time. And as soon as that happened, yeah, we're not going out to nightclubs where we can't see everybody anymore. We're not doing stuff. We can't go to music festivals because then... Yeah. The Vegas shooting happened, so it's like, no matter where we go, we want to be in a small setting where we know everybody around us, let's just drink at home, let's do everything, like... Yeah. That's kind of the the after effect of mm-hmm. any kind of terrorism, is that it yeah. not only affects the people that were there and were killed and witnessed it and were injured and whose families lost them, mm-hmm. but it also makes everybody think twice about the ease of their life and oh well I don't want to do that because it could be dangerous Mm -hmm. I don't want to you know when they had the snipers people were standing at the gas station pumping gas do you know what I'm talking about the DC snipers I was going to say the DC but I wasn't sure yeah and people were standing at the gas pump literally looking all around them well sure I remember one of the victims was sitting in front of a grocery store just reading a newspaper and just out of nowhere got shot and nobody knew who the hell did it. Like, yeah. it just came up from nowhere. Yeah. So, God. I don't know how we got on this subject. I but don't it, know, but the world is so scary. It can be really scary. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. So, that was the end of episode 18. Yes. And um, I really did enjoy your story. Well, thank you. I enjoyed your story as well. I'm glad to hear that everything worked out as best as it could for Tiffany, her. Tiffany, oh, you goodness. rock. Yes. Thank God those kids have such an awesome mom, you know? <laughs> you know, they would have never seen their mom again. Yeah, and, and you I... know those kids are going to grow up, especially after she went through that. All right, self-defense classes on Friday nights. We're going <laughs> to... <laughs>
Oh. All right, family judo tomorrow. Everybody. Yes. Got your belts on. Come on, kids, let's go. Oh. Yeti judo tomorrow night. <laughs> Again, I want to redirect you to mm-hmm. Live, Laugh, Murder. Go give Carmen and Joanna a chance. Okay. You're going to love them, I promise you. Yeah, give them a listen if you have a chance. And as always, we can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and now on Facebook at True Crime BNB or just on Facebook true crime b&b on the groups yes so and if you want to send us an email with your life story in it that'd be great we would love to hear it we would love to have it and you can find us there at true crime b&b pod at gmail.com well i think that's it for us this week thanks for tuning in yeah thanks very much always for listening we appreciate every time you come to hear us so thanks guys Bye, crime family. Bye. 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 If you were from the Midwest, you know that you have to say goodbye at least six or seven times. Well, you have to say bye and then inch a few inches towards the door and then, oh, yeah, 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 bye. (laughs) Inch a few more. (laughs) Bye. Okay, it was good to see you. Bye. Bye. Oh, be sure to drive safe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and don't forget to put the casserole in the fridge. (laughs) Good seeing you, Jeff. (laughs) Bye, guys. And even the cat's mad. She's like, fuck you. <laughs> okay, I can't pick you up when I'm doing my story. Okay. I can't even get to her. Come here, puss. She's literally under my chair. <laughs> There's no way she's coming out of there. Okay. So anyway. She told the media, I literally fraught with... Fraught. <laughs> Third time's the charm. I literally told the media... <laughs> more time okay calm down calm down stop being so excited about the story i can hear her snoring i know she's curled up against my foot